0: Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo taco. Hey, everybody, welcome into to a special episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. As of June 2017, Photo Taco has gone from a weekly show to once a month. It comes out the second Monday of the month. But in July 2017, There are five Mondays, so you get an extra photo taco this month, even though it's going to be really late on Monday (laughs) that it gets released. uh, I'm recording this special episode to get released on the fifth Monday in July. 2017. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me in this f- special fifth Monday edition. I want to follow up with one of the most popular photo talk episodes that have ever been done. And that's the topic of autofocus micro adjustment called AFMA for short. And that's not the official name in all the cameras. So if you're looking for these features, you might have to go look up what the, your camera calls it. Uh, I think in Canon is called micro adjustment. Uh, focus, autofocus micro adjustment. Anyway, <laughs> AFMA is kind of the industry wide term. And that's kind of so it's the generalized term. And you'll have to figure out what your camera has if and even if it supports it. We'll get more to that in a minute. Before getting there, I do need to do a couple of quick announcements or maybe frequently ans- asked questions I'm to give you answers to some frequently asked questions uh, for the improved photography network. First, is an update status on the RGPS app that was released in July 2017. If you've been following the podcast network for a while, you know that Jim has been working feverishly on an app for many, many months, a better than a year effort in order to get an app built. And if you haven't heard of it, it stands for really good photo spots and... The nickname or the acronym for it, the initials of all those words, RGPS, plays on kind of what it's supposed to do. It takes GPS coordinates as part of what you're doing. And different from all the other photo location apps you might have tried out, there's a huge emphasis in RGPS on having like exact precise gps coordinates where the photos are taken not where the trailhead starts or a rough area in some city of where it is but the exact spot where it is you took the photo from so jim created a podcast episode that kind of explains how to be a power user of the app and he published a youtube video for some additional visual instruction on how to add location of photos and get them uploaded But there have been two common questions about the app since the release that I wanted to go over that we're hearing um, from the Improved Photography listener Facebook group and over at improvedphotography.com. So I wanted to address them here as well. First, the app is only available in iOS right now and not Android. I know that's to the dismay of many of you Android users out there. And I'm not going to go into any of the details about why that decision was made. But Jim has said for all those many Android users who have written and said they really, really want it on Android. He wants to do the app on that platform, but he needs to recoup or see if he's gonna recoup some of the cost of building it for iOS. It was a very expensive project and he needs to be able to recoup some of that before investing on building it for another platform. So the way that you do that is upgrading to premium That will help him to get his recover the costs of building the app. He's he's not thinking he's going to make money off of the app. He just really wanted the app for himself. It was very expensive to build it, and um, he'd love to make it available for Android users if he can kind of recoup those costs. So that is the second question, though: How do you get premium? And for those of you who have made tried, there's a bug with it right now unfortunately you can't upgrade to premium as of this fifth monday in july 2017. Uh, there's an issue that it worked great in test but as we put it out for production and, and the public consumption there were differences and it's they're working really hard on it jim and the development team is working hard on it to try to make it so it can work because it's so important to recoup those costs and make it that he can he can possibly do with the android version And But it's just not working. So stay tuned here. Stay tuned at improvephotography.com, the Facebook listener group, all those places. I'm sure once the bug is fixed, we will be plastering that information throughout all of that. But for now, just know it's iOS only and you, you can't currently upgrade to premium. So stick with us through that. The app is really great. There's tons of people contributing locations. It's really kind of fun. And you should go check it out. All right, let's talk now about a follow-up on AFMA. So back in April 2017, I did a podcast episode where I walked through three different options for doing AFMA and a little bit about why you'd want to do AFMA. So to briefly recap and summarize that episode, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. You can buy some targets that uh, you can put on a light stand and kind of manually shoot and compare the photos. That's one method. Um, Another is to use software that attempts to automate the process. It automates it as much as it can. The software that I tested was from Focal, F-O-C-A-L, or it's called Focal. And um, it automates everything you can on my 7D Mark II. It won't let the uh, software change the AFMA values. That's just a restriction that Canon just makes. There's other Canon cameras where it works fine, but Canon with the 7D II just decided that it uh, wasn't going to let that the software or the SDK to be able to go and do that. So as I could do the, the testing and the tuning of AFMA, I have to manually go and set the values. And then the third one is kind of, uh, it, it's still a pretty manual process, but you take advantage of the focus indicator that happens in the viewfinder when you have focus. And you kind of you set the focus to be perfect you manual or through like the phase detect using live view and and you get it so that it's perfectly focused. Then you turn off autofocus and you you kind of move around with different AFMA values and validate that you still get that focus indicator. And when you don't, then you know that's a bad AFMA value. Anyway, it, it, I go through all of that in detail and that's all in that other episode. If you haven't listened to that episode and you really want to find out more about AFMA, how you do it and why you do it, then go uh, look up at the link in the show notes. I'll put it there. Or you can do a Google search photo taco AFMA photo space taco space AFMA. And that stands for auto focus micro adjust just so to try to help your, your brain remember that in case you're driving and you can't remember what AF what the, the letters were the weird letters AFMA auto focus micro adjust. Okay, what I wanted to do today was provide kind of an update on how AFMA has gone for me since that time in April of 2017. The, re- the entire reason I dove into the topic was to improve the sharpness of the models in the portraits I was taking. So for the listeners who may not have heard many Photo Taco episodes, I'm a hobbyist photographer, and I love to shoot landscapes. It's really my passion. That's the thing I'd love to do. And at some point, I'm going to have more time to do it, and I will have more really cool landscapes. But I also do quite a bit of portraits. In fact, I do more portraits than landscapes at this point. I wish I could change that, and at some point, like I said, I will, but right now, I'm doing more portraits than I am landscapes. I do those, uh, make a little bit of money, feed my hobby, and mostly, though, because my wife kind of prefers that photography. She loves to be able to pose people and interact with people, and and um, so I do all the technical stuff, and she works with the people. We make a great team, and it's it's really fun. I've developed my skills over the last several years in shooting portraits enough to know that when I have a model that looks soft in the photo, it's frequently because the autofocus has failed and not me. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say that, I'm not saying I don't make mistakes that affect the sharpness of my photos because I still do that all the time. Way too much. I'm getting better at it, but I, I do have more work to do to make sure my technique is always on point and that If it's soft, it's because the AF, the autofocus just failed me. But I can tell by looking closely at the photos that sometimes in the shots, the autofocus is back focusing. That means that instead of having the sharpest focused on the plane in the photo where I set the focus point, like right on the closest eye in the photo, it's behind. Like maybe the hair or the ears, I can tell are sharper than the eyes. That's not what I want. I want that eye to be sharpest. Now I'd heard a photographer saying that in order to get portraits consistently sharp, they had to go through this autofocus micro adjustment process. I'd read about it prior to April of 2017. And I decided, well, maybe it's time, maybe my skills have, have gotten to the point where I that's impacting me and I need to figure out how to do this AFMA stuff. And what's cool is that my Canon 7D Mark II had it. My 60D, the camera that I was using when I first got into photography, does not, and that's something that you're going to have to be aware of. Not every camera has this feature, so you're going to have to figure out if your camera does or how to even use it in your camera because they all do it just differently, (laughs) even across the same manufacturer. It's not all the same. And um, so I, I started in March of 2017 to kind of narrow in on that. I had to figure out how to do it. I had to to go through. I knew there were these three approaches and I had to test them out. And that's what I shared in April 2017 was what I learned about that. I went through those tests. I did a photo shoot where the, the focus improved. I got sharper photos and I was so excited about it. And I shared that back in April of 2017. Now you come to today and since then I've done quite a few portrait shoots including a wedding which is kind of rare for me and was disappointed to find that the autofocus continued to fail more than I had hoped. Some shots were still back focused with the model not being as sharp as I knew they could be and I still ended up with more sharp photos than not for sure but there were quite a few where uh, the composition and lighting it was just it was good but and then the 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 model was soft and so i decided i better do some more afma testing and see what was going on and i i did this several times over the last 4 months in fact i remember at least 3 different times i did it over the past 4 months and each time i did multiple runs using all three methods the focal software and uh, all of them, I used all three methods. On my Tamron 24-70, to that's been my workhorse lens for the last four months. I love that lens, by the way. None of this is a knock on that lens. Any lens is gonna have, I think, the similar needs for AFMA. The AFMA values that Focal tur- tuned to, they changed every time I did it, but not drastically. And on my Canon, I can do AFMA values from the widest and the longest focal lengths. So, I can store in their values from minus 20 to plus 20. And the, when I did the widest focal length, the minus 20 value was so far out of focus that Focal software actually thought that the target got moved or the camera got moved somehow. So, it was no longer pointing at the target. And it gives you like this error message you have to clear and say, no, no, no. It's still there. It's just so far out of focus that you can't see it. <laughs> and you move on. Anyway. I would narrow it in on a value between like plus nine and plus eleven on the wide, and were more like plus eight and plus ten on the longer side of that Tamron lens. So they were pretty close to each other, plus nine, plus eleven on the one end, on the 24 end, and plus eight and plus ten on the on the uh, 70 end. The values I got most consistently were plus eleven for the wide and plus ten for the long. So I kind of stuck with those over the four months as I was shooting. And I'm so glad to say the sharpness, it it was more consistent. I could tell that what I was doing was helping. But I was still getting softer values and that's why I did it like three different times over the last four months to test it. Now at this point I have to say, I'm probably getting to a level of pixel peeping here that's not, not probably fair for the equipment. I guess the problem is I've seen an example now where the autofocus has been perfect and I just have this expectation of the equipment then I'm going to get that sharp, perfect focus on every shot I take. And when the eyes aren't quite there, I know what it can be. And when they don't quite get it, it just bothers me. And I really want it to work, but it's probably not fully fair. We have, you know, my technique can affect it. The dark scenes I'm I'm shooting in, in lower light conditions, sometimes that can affect it or scenes that just don't have much contrast. And that makes it hard. And I mean, I'm talking about problems where I just know it's really a thing that I notice more than clients. Most of the clients would see the photos and they still loved them. They still felt they were perfectly, you know, sharp, uh, very sharp. None of them said, "Oh man, I just look a little bit out of focus." So it's not such a big problem that it's uh, super terrible. There were some where the the autofocus really messed up and it just was unusable. But most of them were really pretty good. I just wanted all of them to be exactly sharp, get the full sharpness that I've seen out of some of the shots. I want that applied to everything and it just wasn't quite there. So that's why this quest to keep doing AFMA keeps happening. So I decided after completing some of these shoes to go back and I did it several times and I ended up with one AMFA value for the lens just to see if maybe I could get more hits on tack sharp focus of the eyes. And uh, especially doing kind of running on sunset, just wanted, I want as good a chance as possible to make my photos be sharp. So in April, I came to final AF, AFMA, it's really hard to say, values on the Tamron lens for the wide of, of plus nine. That's what I had in my notes. And I know that's where I was. The three methods didn't all agree at that time back then, but in testing all three over the past four months, I can tell you they still don't agree all the time. And I finally, I, I think the best approach is using all three methods, which is super time consuming. It's really, really hard. But that's kind of what I've discovered after testing this over the last four months and five months, if you include that month, that first month before that first episode. Um, I, I really highly value having the information from all three methods to kind of decide what value I'm going to use. Sort of like how... I like having the information for uh, exposure. I love getting as much information as I can. I I have the in-camera metering, I have kind of how the shots look on LCD, and I have a histogram that I can reference. All three give me pieces of information and help me to kind of decide what it is I'm going to do for my exposure. And then thank goodness I have raw files where I have some room to kind of deal with that after the fact too. But I, I really love having multiple inputs and multiple ways to get information so that I can make a good decision. And that's how I feel now about this AFMA stuff. I kind of leaned toward the dot .tune method back then but there's some times where that just doesn't work and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about one. But uh, I love having like all three because I can combine them. It can it can uh, shorten how long it takes to do some of the others like the manual comparison. I can it makes that much faster to be able to go through it. After I have information from the other two, I kind of know where I want to start and what I want to compare. And it it makes it more like a confirmation than it is what setting should I be using. Now, here's the interesting thing and why I wanted to follow up on today on my experience. The values I needed on that Tamron lens changed a lot over the past four months. I went from that plus nine value all the way to a plus 17 value in the most recent test that I did, the most recent AFMA tuning I did. I ended up at plus 17, same lens, same landing conditions. I set up everything exactly the same. I'm doing it indoors in an office where I control the lighting. I have the same target, the same tripod, the same distances, everything is as close to the same as I can practically make it. And so the only thing I can think of, there's only two things that I can think of that can can explain this. The first is the weather change here in Utah, we went from like 50, 60 degrees in April to 100 degrees in July. <laughs> I know I mentioned back in April that photographers suggested the AFMA values would need to be checked after significant changes in weather. And I'd say a 50 degree swing in the temperature seems like a pretty big change. So that could account for some of what I was saying or It could be kind of how much I used the Tamron lens. I've used it for nearly all the shooting over the last four months that I did. And Lightroom tells me that was about 3,500 frames over the four months, which kind of surprised me. I I thought I'd have more than that, but that's how many I did. Um, And there's quite a few. So maybe the usage, maybe I'm I'm like breaking the lens in, I'm I'm wearing the lens in more and, and that that accounts for it. I'm not sure yet. I'm going to have to continue doing more testing periodically to kind of see where it is. But I wanted to update everyone and let them know that I certainly can validate that there's value in testing probably every few months, but certainly I would do it after any significant weather change to make sure you do it. So I'm totally convinced that you you need to just doing it once and leaving it forever. It's not going to be good. Now, before I end the episode, I want to mention that all this AFMA testing I've done over the past five months, the three methods have disagreed on the values at times, sometimes significantly. I I said back in April that they were close enough that they were within margin of error and it probably wasn't a big difference between them. But I have had some experiences in this testing that I've done over the last four or five months. To say that, yeah, sometimes they do disagree, like, significantly. So most recently, I tested the values on the long end of the Tamron lens, 70 millimeters. Focal said I should have a setting of plus four on the long end. Dot tune said zero. And that's interesting because dot tune could, that's like the perfect spot where it could be most accurate. And as I was using .tune, it said zero. Now the difference between zero and four is fairly negligible, but and so how do I decide? How am I going to decide which one is which? Which one I should use? Should I go with the zero or the plus four? And I so it's why I'm glad there's like three methods because it gives you a good tiebreaker. And so when I did the tethering to the computer and I took the frames and I compared them at like a three to one view in Lightroom, I could tell. Yep, the plus four was consistently better. Just slightly sharper than the zero. So that's the one I chose to go with as the plus four. Now on the other hand, so in that case, Focal was more accurate than DotTune. On the other hand, same AFMA tuning session. So one right after the other, I was testing the long length and then the shorter length. And so same lighting, same everything, like really the same because I didn't even move the camera. Well, no, I did. That's not true. Had to move the camera because you have to be a different distance away from the target for the different focal lengths. So I did have to move the camera, but the lighting did not move. The target did not move. It was all the same. I just moved the tripod forward a little bit. And the wide focal length at 24 millimeters had a plus 12 recommended from Focal and a plus 18 from the tethered shots. And this is a place where dot tune actually fully failed. And I I mentioned at kind of the top, this at the short end of that Tamron lens, the minus 20 value is so out of focus that Focal thinks the target's not in front of it anymore. Well, that means that my AFMA is always gonna be kind of on the plus side, I think, on that lens. I doubt that it's ever gonna go to the negative side or probably even much below 10. And um, that means that I don't have a whole lot of room to do the dot tune method on my AFMA values. I was at like a plus 11, I did a plus 10 at times, and a plus 17, plus 18. That means I don't have room on the other side and at plus 20, I got focus confirmation in dot tune instantly, which means I probably needed more like 21, 22, 23. I would have needed to go out to like a plus 25 or something to see the end of where the focus confirmation happens in the dot tune method. That means I couldn't use dot tune to find the right value because of of where it ends up on that particular focal length on that lens. And uh, so I was really glad I had the two methods still to be able to go through with uh, Focal and then doing the tethered shots. And I really liked the information I got out of the tethered shots because the plus 18 was considerably sharper than the plus 12 in the manual tethered shot comparisons I did. So again, I just, I, I wanted to emphasize mixing and matching and doing all three methods. That's really kind of provided me the best information I I could have. And then validating, maybe like the very last thing, when you think you've got it at a value you want, validating it by tethering and and doing the manual comparison might be like the best safeguard and and check and making sure that you do that. So there's my update. That's what I wanted to share with you on AFMA and where it is that I've been. I'm gonna be seriously interested to see where it goes from here. How like when the winter comes and the the temperatures are much lower, how that affects it and uh, over time, if it's just something that seems to need to my monthly or, or what it is, it's going to be super interesting to see how it goes. But there's an update that I wanted to share with you on this fifth Monday in July 2017. Hope everyone has uh, enjoyed the episode. And that's uh, that's about all we have time for today. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Improved Photography Podcast Facebook group. You can do that through Instagram too by messaging at Podcast. Or through email where the address is podcast at gmail.com. No question, too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer to the question, I will bring a, an expert on and we'll go through it. Also, be sure to t- head over to the mothership that makes all of this possible. That's the improvephotography.com website where we have news, gear, and other photo tip articles con- coming out constantly. It is the best way to improve your photography. <laughs> Views expressed on this program by independent host, guests, and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned.